Um, believe it or not, we're going to have to end just a little bit early. And I'll explain why once we get everybody settled in. You know, there's just, every once in a while, I'm, I don't get sick very often, but I'll admit, when I get sick, I'm, I'm pretty much of a wimp. Um, and there are a lot of times when I get sick, I think, I'm never going to get well again. I wonder what it would be like to, you know, not have to sneeze or not have a headache or, you know, whatever it is that ails me. Somehow, it only takes a few hours for me to be convinced that I'll never go back to normal. Um, in a lot of ways, I kind of felt like when we entered into this pandemic that we would never get back to normal. And I'm not suggesting that, that we are back to normal. And I'm not even suggesting that I want to get back to normal, uh, at least to 2019. But I am saying it's just such a blessing to have, have all of you here. For those of you who had family who visited that with us this morning in worship, we are just so thankful for that. Um, it is Easter Sunday, so we probably shouldn't do this, but it's in the text, and I just don't feel like we should skip over it because, you know, we might have some visitors or some folks who say, I don't really understand what's going on here. Uh, and maybe you read this and say, I don't really understand what's going on here. When I read this, I said, I don't really know what's going on here. This makes me uncomfortable. I feel really weird about this. I don't know what to do with it. And so I said, you know what? It's here. And so for class, we're going to just spend some time talking about some of the things that happened in Exodus chapter 19. And then in, in the, the coming weeks, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about uh, Exodus chapter 20, uh, and the Ten Commandments, we'll kind of slow down a little bit because we really want to address those. Uh, and then we'll go through the rest of Exodus. But right now we're here in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, and God has come to Moses and he says, look, I, I have brought you out. I've carried you out on eagle's wings. A couple of things that, that we want to know. Uh, first off is this. Um, when he talks about this phrase, eagle's wings, what do you, what do you think that implies? What do, you, what do you think it means when it says carried out on eagle's wings? What, how might an eagle carry someone out and, and what does that imply? The power, uh, the strength. Um, this is probably a reference to the way an eagle might carry its, its baby uh, eagles as it picks them up and secures them and, and moves them. Okay. Um, this this talks not only about the power uh, of the eagle and the fact that it is spreading its wings to cover them. It also talks about the fact that that as a as a, a baby bird, uh, it it does not have the ability to protect itself uh, to deliver itself safely to where it needs to go. And so um, this is something. This is talking about um, how. Um, God is taking care of the Israelites. And of course, we can apply that to us today. But he's going to talk a little bit about the past. He's going to talk about the future. And he's going to talk about the present. And that all starts in verse 4 when he says, uh, You yourselves have seen what I did you know, when I carried you out of, of Egypt. Right? When I carried you out, he says, 
He's referring to the past. And then he's going to give them a glimpse of the future. And he talks about, in verse 5, he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Okay, and the, the Hebrew for this uh, is not just like a, um, a mound of gold. It's, it's like a, a, a special heirloom, something that is uh, most valuable to you. Okay, and he's referring to that. That's who they are. And then he's going to turn into the present. And he says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So now he's going to include them in this. So what exactly does he mean when he says you are going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? What's he talking about here? What, what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? Is he referring to the... Uh, Aaron priesthood. Okay. People in service to him. Okay, so do you understand that this is not just a promise from God? This is a covenant that God is making in which he says, there is something that I am doing for you, but I am asking for something from you as well. Okay, what does a priest do? Do what? Ministers uh, to the people. He intercedes for the people. Okay, when sacrifices were made, it was the priest who would make that sacrifice. And we can already jump into the New Testament. We go to Hebrews and talk about the, the great high priest uh, who is Jesus. But in this case, I just want to focus on the idea of that that Israel was called to be priests. They weren't just benefactors of God's love and blessing. And that is sometimes what we assume the church is. Sometimes we get this idea that we are the benefactors. We are the ones who come in, and when we show up here, we get to go to our assigned pew, our pew, Right, and we get to sit down, and then for the next, you know, 45, 50, 55 minutes, never more than an hour, okay, we are going to be encouraged, and we are going to be entertained, and we are going to be enlightened, and this is going to happen for us. And, and I've never done this, and I know you have never done this, but someone might be inclined to say, boy, I wish they sang songs that I liked more. Or, I wish the sermon would be a little bit shorter. Um, nobody in the last nine years has ever said, I wish our preacher was more charming or better looking. That has never crossed any of your minds. But sometimes we get into this idea of, we are the ones that we come in here, and what are we going to get out of this? Uh, and I don't want to just say that on us, but generally speaking, that's the direction that worship has turned over the last 20 years. And we found ourselves uh, wanting to be entertained more, and we, then we have to deal with the, the, the floodlights and the fog machines and the laser light show and what is going to make me happy and what's going to get me amped up. And this is not what we're getting here. There's not this... Let me tell you of all the things that I'm going to do for you. Instead, he says, you are going to be my priests. 
Like I have chosen you and I've chosen you because I want you to go out into this world. I want you to be the ones who are going to intercede on my behalf. And we talked about this about a month ago. Why did God choose the nation? Why didn't He just open this up to all people? Hey, anybody who wants to come. He, he understood that He needed a group of people who would look to Him and who would model His behavior and His love and His forgiveness. It's the same thing that Jesus would do. We're talking on Wednesday nights. Why didn't He just look to the multitudes and said, Hey, you guys, y'all all follow Me. You're going to be My messengers. Instead, He chose 12 of them. He understood that He needed to have a group of people who He would call His. And that group of people would call Him their Lord. And so this is what we have in the Old Testament. But it applies to us today. Each one of you have been called to be priests. And you say, oh, I don't really like that word. I'll make it a little easier. All of you have been called to be ministers. That's your role. Your role in the church is to be a minister. It's not a lay person. It's not um, a congregant. It's not a member. Your role in the body of Christ is to be a, a member and a member of one body who ministers to one another. And I just, I'm, I'm fighting the urge because I want to go to Ephesians. I want to go to Romans 12 and talk about this. But I, I think we get the idea is that, that the Israelites were called to be priests to a world so that they could intercede and say, I want the rest of you to know who God is, and what He's really like. And this is really important back then. This is very important. Why do you think it was so important for, for the people of Israel and the rest of the world to know who God is? What was their idea of, of, of God or gods at that time? What, what kind of worship took place during that time? Okay, so we have the, the, the God of the Old Testament and of the New Testament, Yahweh, but there were other gods that people believed in and they worshipped. Um, any of you familiar with other um, flood accounts other than the biblical account? Anybody, can anybody think of any other flood accounts? The Babylonians had one. Greek, myth Greek mythology had beliefs in different gods. There were different flood accounts. Uh, <clears throat> according to the Babylonian uh, flood account, um, it was not a god who was trying to save the world. It was what? It, it was a god who was trying to destroy the world. He was mad. He was upset. And he wanted to take out all the other gods. And some of the other gods got together and they went down and they said, hey, you know, this God, this God is really mad. He's trying to destroy the world. Uh, you may want to try to do something and save some people. Otherwise, like, you're in big trouble. The gods of the Old Testament, the gods of Egypt, uh, were gods who were angry, 
They were gods who were violent. They were gods who demanded sacrifices. Not the kind of sacrifices that we talk about when we come together and we, we say, you know, let's, let's sacrifice uh, by giving back to God a portion of, of, of what He's given to us. <clears throat> a lot of times the pagan sacrifices involved humans. Uh, specifically children. These were the sacrifices that, that were expected upon um, other, other uh, religions and from other gods. And so when God stepped onto the scene, He wanted to make it very clear that that was not the type of God that He was. That He was the God who would sacrifice. That, that He was the God who would deliver. That He was the God who would carry out His people on eagle's wings. I think I got an amen at the very back there. I'm not for sure. But I want you to listen to this because it's about to get really, really weird. Okay, and I don't know what else how to handle it, so I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it and see if we can make sense of what's about to happen. So Moses went back to verse seven, summoned the elders of the people, and said before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, "We will do everything the Lord had said." I just I love this with excitement because this is the first time they're really starting to buy in, because prior to this point. Like, they don't seem very certain. Moses shows up on the scene in Egypt and they said, ah, he's a pretty good guy until all of a sudden the, uh, the Egyptians get mad and they start requiring more slave labor and said, okay, uh, you got to make bricks, but this time you have to gather your own straw. And they say, Moses, get out of here. I hope God looks at you and he's angry with you. Um, you, you have made us a stench. Uh, and so they're very upset with him. They're going to complain. They're going to argue all throughout, even as they're entering into the desert, but they're now a couple months in, they're entering the, the first day of the third month, and all of a sudden we see this sort of change in heart. They say, we will do everything the Lord has said. I don't know why they didn't say that as He's parting the waters and they're walking across. They sing a song and then they're like, man, I'm really thirsty, why would you bring us out here to die? But it seems like they're starting to catch on, but before you get too much hope uh, in these people, and think, wow, they've turned a corner. Well, they're not yet there yet. But let's continue on in verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them uh, today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready for for on the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Okay, this is really huge. Obviously, what do we see already? What jumped out at you in that passage? The third day. This is already, he's probably, I'm get ready for the third day, it's going to happen. I mean, just, I wonder if this ever clicked years later. As Peter, some of the other apostles are sitting around, they're reading back through, and they say, on the third day, be ready. Like, wow, that, that was talking about us. Like, like, we need to be ready because God is going to come back. He's going to reveal Himself. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch, foot, touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. So he's going to say this, he's going to say, okay, get ready, prepare yourselves, I'm going to come down, but I want you to know, stay away from the mountain, don't touch it. 
In fact, he's going to go on to say, not only should you not touch it, but if someone touches it, they need to be killed. But when you kill them, don't touch them as you're killing them. I want you to stone them or shoot them with an arrow, but don't touch the mountain or touch anyone who touched the mountain. Why? Is, why? What's so wrong about touching the mountain? It's holy? It's where God is? Is this your understanding of God? It, I, I want to talk about this because this is a little odd. How many of you have this understanding of God so holy we cannot be anywhere near where He's been and if we go where He has been, there's going to be a stoning or the arrow and it's, it's going to end badly. Okay, you're talking about the, the Ark of the Covenant that, that we're going to have, that, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Somebody's going to touch that. Does anybody remember who it was? Rhymes Ron, with Buzza. <laughs> Uzza is going to touch that. He's, he's trying to study it. So there was a great fear that came over the people, and, and God really wanted them to know who he was. John? Okay. 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 Yes, Kenneth. Okay. Uh, so the priests were initiated and our pastors were initiated. We have to have someone in between us and the Father. Yes. Yeah. This is totally and completely off limits. Okay. Demanding obedience. Uh, my wife is a school teacher. Some of you work in the school system and work around kids. And. And one thing that teachers will sometimes say is, you know, that that very first day is really the day that you kind of have to, you kind of have to set down the law. You know, if you give them an inch, they'll drag you a mile. You got to get your bluff in early and have to say, okay, this is how it's going to be. And and maybe that's what's going on here. That that God is saying, okay, I want you to understand that there are boundaries. There were not boundaries at the very very beginning. Remember, we go back and look, and we have Adam and Eve. And they're, they're in the garden, and who's walking with them? God is walking with them in the garden. What, what happened? Why was God within the garden now? And now, I mean, they're in the desert. Well, God says, don't you get near the mountain where I'm at. Sin. Sin. Like, I don't think... I think it's hard in the culture and society that we live in that we really recognize... What, what sin does in our lives 
and does for us and how it tears up our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. I think Mount Sinai is really saying you need to understand how sin ruins the relationship between God creator and the people who he's created. And he's going to be very blatant about the fact that sin has caused this divide. Now, he's going to offer a solution, not on Mount Sinai. It's going to take a different mountain thousands of years later. But right now, he's saying, listen, you have to understand. Okay. Now, some of you may say, well, that doesn't really make sense. Um, how many of you have ever had a surgery before? Anybody ever had a surgery? I've, I've had, <laughs> you've had so I think you've, you've had quite a few recently. Rusty, I think, holds the record for the number of surgeries any human being has had. I, I think it's like in the 40s, isn't it? Like, I'm not joking. How, how many? Two surgeries? You've had more than two surgeries in the last year. And I really think he told me one time he's had like 40 surgeries. And you know what? He just, all I can say is the good die young. <laughs> That's all I can say. He just, he's, he's, he's still going. So, but okay, I, I had a surgery a couple years ago. I think some of you may remember. Um, I, I was feeling terrible one Sunday morning. In fact, Saturday night, I was feeling terrible. I got up on Sunday. I just remember like, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember anything that I said. Um, I just remember like holding on to the lectern because that's what helped me. And I was just sweating. It was terrible. I was like, something's not right. I don't feel good at all. And I ended up going to the doctor and they said, well, you have, you know, um, your gallbladder needs to be taken out. It's not working right. So we, we, we began that process. And Kristen and, and the crew over at Lee Regional just treated us better than we deserved. And, but before I even went there, uh, I had to go through several tests. Uh, and then, and then preparing for that, going into the operation, there were several things that I had to do and several things that I couldn't do. Um, and there was a certain soap that I had to wash up with the day before. There were certain foods that I wasn't allowed to eat. In fact, if I can't remember correctly, I think it, it was either a 12 or 24 hour fast prior to going into the operating room. There were certain clothes that I needed to wear and, and to get ready for and things that I needed to do. And um, the, the thing is, I really didn't question that too much. Because I, I kind of understood that um, when I walked into that, that hospital and they said, okay, we want you to change and get ready. I didn't insist that I wear my favorite camping boots into surgery. I wasn't like, no, 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 these things have to be on me. Like, I really need that. And when they said, we want you to put on this gown, that's not exactly airtight, but we want you to put this thing on and tie it at the back, it was not the most flattering thing I've ever worn. And I could have said, you know what, I really, I really want to go to the operating room with my Dallas Cowboys jersey on. Like, that's, that's how it's going to be. right? I didn't insist on that. Because I understood that I was going to be going into a, a sterile environment. And while they didn't like crack my chest or tear me wide open, I knew that there was going to be stuff that was outside my body that was going to go inside my body. right? And I didn't want any of that to contaminate and possibly enter into my body. The only thing I wanted was the gallbladder to go away and the pain to go away. 
And so, Kyle Wolf, if you can hear me now, I'm praying for you, buddy. Hang in there. He's he's going to have surgery. He's scheduled on April 14th, and bless his heart, he's he's had a, a lot more um, side effects and symptoms than I had with mine. Uh, and so, he's getting ready for that. But you don't think about going into an operating room and saying, yeah, I want to wear my muddy shoes and my dirty clothes and my favorite fishing hat, you know, with the rusty lures hanging down. Like, I understand the importance of it needs to be a sterile environment. And I know that's not really a great analogy, but I would, none, none of you would say, I insist that I wear my, my favorite old grungy shirt when I go into the surgery room, when I go under the knife. None of you would be like, um, I, I want to do that. And I don't think any of you really get upset when a doctor says, you cannot wear that. You don't be like, wow, that's very arrogant of you. I can't believe the doctor would say I can't wear it like I have to wear this goofy looking robe on. You understand that in order for your own safety, that you need to enter into that sterile environment and not allow anything outside that could harm you. And so, yes, it's probably not the greatest analogy, but God says, like, I'm God, I'm holy. I don't allow any of that in there. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. That's not what I believe. That's not how I act. And so I will not have any of that in there. And some of you say, well, that's terrible. I, I won't serve a God who makes me do all that. Any one of you, if, if you have a, a, an instance where your, your life could be in jeopardy, and you have to go under the knife, I don't think you're going to tell the doctor, no, 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 this is how it's really going to go. You're going to say, you know what, I have, I have cancer, and I need it removed. You do whatever you want, and I will do whatever you want me to do. Spiritually speaking, that's where we are. Spiritually speaking, we have a terminal disease. It's called sin. And God wants to remove it, but He says in order for that to happen, there's some, there are some... Uh, some rules that you need to follow. There are some boundaries that I've set up. But here's it's going to get even weirder. Okay? Because I, when I remember reading through Exodus, however many times, I always think, oh yeah, I remember Exodus 19. He says, okay, consecrate yourselves and get ready because I'm coming down. And he says, you know, if anybody touches the foot of the mountain, you know, he's going to, you need to stone him. But listen to this. He says, um, I, I want to go ahead and keep reading uh, in verse 16. It says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered to him now I, I want to stop uh, for just a second okay um, what happened at this place just a few months ago what happened at Mount Sinai before Moses went to go into Egypt there was the burning bush. And remember what God said? They're at the burning bush. He says, this is how you will know that I'm the Lord. He says, you're going to come back and you're going to do what? 
you're going to worship me on this mountain. And we make a big deal about a burning bush, but what about a burning mountain? Like this is just, the, the, this is the burning bush times 10. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder than Moses spoke and the voice of God answered. Listen to this. Verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, listen again, go down and warn the people what? Somebody read this for me. Verse 21. Does that seem kind of weird? Pick up somebody, uh, read verse 22. What in the world is going on here? Do you think the Israelites missed something here earlier? Do you remember what God said earlier? Don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you're going to be stoned or you're going to be shot with an arrow. Yeah. Even Moses didn't look there. And then God's going to descend down. And the first thing He's going to say to Moses is, okay, I want you to go back down there and warn the people. Don't come in. Like, it's almost like there was going to be this, this mob that was going to rush in on Him. I don't... I. I can't remember when this was. My son was telling me a little bit about it. But a few months ago when some kids got bored, they decided that they were going to rush Area 51. Does anybody remember anything about that? And like, like basically the government said, this is not going to go well. Like, I don't know how many people you have, but like, and all these people say, we're going to rush it. We're going to climb over the, you know, the fences and we're going to get through there. And they're like, no, you're not. Like, this is not a good idea. God is... Why is he so worried about this? He's already told them. What does Moses say? How does Moses respond to them? He says, uh, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. Then the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or He will break out against them. That's three times if I'm doing the math. First He says, okay, don't step foot on the mountain or you're going to be stoned or killed. Then He comes back later on and tells Moses, He says, don't let them rush up the mountain or my anger will break out against them. Right? And then he says again, okay, let Aaron come out. But if they try to rush and come up the mountain, if they try to force their way through, my anger will break out against them. What in the world is going on? With teenagers? 
Ma'am, I don't know who your kids are, but my kids, they obey me a lot better. <laughs> Actually, I think they listen to you a lot better than they listen to me. So why, why was this so important? Why was God so adamant? And what does that mean when God says, don't touch the mountain, don't go near it, don't try to rush up it, I'll come after you. If you try to rush up it, my anger will break out against you. What, what, do we, what do we get from this? That God's angry, He's untouchable. What's, what do we get from this? Yes. Okay. How was? Okay. Yes. This is to me very foreign because. As old as I feel like I'm getting, I still grew up during New Testament times. Like, for the last 2,000 years, almost everybody in this room, we grew up in New Testament times. Not saying any names. I'm already in trouble as it is. Um, I don't care if Rusty gets mad at me, but I don't want Judy mad at me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite my tongue. For... for 2,000 years, over two millennia, almost two millennia, we have, been, we have been talking about the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. We go to Hebrews and we talk about that. We, we read um, uh, in, in Romans, uh, we, we hear, you know, what can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Like there is, there is nothing. We know that we are, we are conquerors. Because of Jesus. But I just want us to imagine for a second, and it's not a good picture, but I just want to imagine what is life like without Jesus? We have a God who's unapproachable. We have a God who's so holy that we cannot come into His presence. I don't, like, I, I, and I don't take this as a political comment because it's not, but just in my opinion, I would think one of the most honorable things that could happen for most people is to have an invitation to go to the White House. Um, and maybe you have to pretend that it's your your favorite president there. I, I, again, this is not to be political or not, but I don't know how many has any ever anybody ever been to the White House before? Okay, I've, I've not been, but I'm a nerd and I watch documentaries and I've seen documentaries on the White House. It is like uber, uber impressive. Um, the outside of the White House is the same as it's been for over 100 years. The inside has, has made multiple changes and at one point they completely tore down everything inside because they were so concerned about you know the bugs and the tapping and all that that had taken place during the Cold War and rebuilt it and that thing is just amazing and I someday Jennifer and I have talked about this someday we want to take a trip 
uh, to, to Washington, D.C., and we want to go to the White House, and hopefully we can get a tour. But I have no expectation that between now and then I'm going to get an invitation to go. Okay. And, and you, never, you never went to it. I, I, to me, I, I would love to get to go there, but if I go there, it's because that I drove there on my own dime or flew there or whatever, and, and like I, I was able to get in with a group of people that was able to take a tour. I am not expecting an invitation from the White House. If anybody from the White House is watching and you want to send one and surprise me, go ahead. It would be great. But I'm not expecting one, right? But boy, wouldn't it be nice. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that we have a God who's greater and more powerful than any uh, human uh, individual or government. But there was a time that access to God was, was denied. It, it wasn't allowed. And God came to His people and said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm calling you to be holy. But even with that, if you go back and look through the Old Testament and look at what they had to do, and you talk about going into the holy place and the holy of holies, like that was just that just brings fear within you. They literally had had stories of how the high priest would enter the most holy place. And you remember what he had around uh, his belt, what he had around his waist. He had rope, and what what else did he have attached to him? bells because they thought if he goes in there and he gets struck down for doing something that he shouldn't have been doing because God is such a holy God then one if the bells stop ringing we know something's wrong and two we have a rope we can pull him out of none of you got up this morning and said I'm going to go worship today there's a chance I might not make it out of the, the temple alive that as I enter in, none of us have had that thought, did you? None of us thought, I'm going to enter into the, the sanctuary. We call it the auditorium, but in a way it's our sanctuary. How many of you thought, I'm going to go and worship there, but there's a good chance that I might not make it out of here alive? I, I, think, I think Exodus 19 is really important. Because it shows us the difference between what life is like before Jesus and what life is like after Jesus. Jesus changed everything. And I just, I give thanks that we're not under that sacrificial system. I give thanks because I'm a Gentile. I'm not allowed into the, the, the temple in the way that the Jews were. And yet, here we have a God who says, I'm making that sacrifice for you. I'm the one who's going to continue to draw you into relationship. And he's going to say, there is nothing that can separate me or you from my love for you. That's, that's what is so amazing as we look back in the Old Testament. And we hear stories and I've, people would say, man, I would just love, and I'm one of them, I would love to be standing on the either side of the Red Sea when it got parted and to walk across that and to see how that happened. But how many people would say, Moses himself would say, man, 
what must it be like to be able to come into the presence of God and stand before Him clean and redeemed and paid for? That's who, that's who we are. All of us have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, we're able to enter into His holy place. So, um, I know we have just a few minutes left. And this is where we're going to kind of shift gears. And I'm going to ask for your help. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, but we have a lot of kids who are in their classes right now. They're going to be uh, coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, and so, we, we want to have a little fun with our kids. Um, and give them an opportunity to do a little Easter egg hunting. So, in the past, we've gone outside in that area. It's just really small. Um, and this year, we decided that we are going to have an Easter egg hunt inside right in here. And so, if you would be so kind to help us out, we have about 15 baskets up here filled with eggs. And we would like to ask that um, in just a moment, after we have our closing prayer, if we can have some of you, as many of you as you can, come up here and grab a basket. And we want to place Easter eggs all in this auditorium. And if you want to put them in difficult places that are hard for the little ones to reach, go for it. If you just want to pile them up, it's no rules. Do whatever you want. If you want to stash one in your pocket and go home with it, that's between you and the Lord. Um, but I do want you to know that, you know, he still is the God of Mount Sinai. So just remember as you're walking out the door with it. So let's close out in prayer. And then I'm going to ask you if you guys would come help us with the Easter eggs. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I thank you again for being an awesome God. And you're the amazing God of the Old Testament. But you're also the God who sent your son that would completely free us and redeem us. And Lord, that changes our past, it changes our present, it changes our future. And so Lord, I just pray that we will be a people who will with joy remember the empty tomb and what it means for each one of us. God, please let us come to you with reverence, but let us also come to you with joy and knowing that, that Jesus is our high priest who intercedes. Lord, we're about to shift gears just a little bit and and i pray that while we do have fun that this is an opportunity for these little kids that to see that that we are a people who love you and who love our little kids uh, and we want to celebrate with them uh, how you changed the world when you rose from the dead it's in jesus name that i pray amen